Thanks to that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Bash us, fuck him. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Eric Dim, your most complaint cop. This is the 265 Police Live Series. We're going to bring you a new segment this week. Along with me is John McCarry, retired lieutenant, NYPD, the founder and the co-host of this podcast. How you doing, my brother? Very well, my friend. I'm not in Bangkok like you, not traveling the world, but I'm good. <laughs> As I got the, some Asian culture right here. This place is fantastic. I'm here in Bangkok. I recommend everyone visit it. Beautiful place. Subway system, which is called a SkyTrain. It's very safe. It's clean. There's always something to do. The food is fantastic. And the people here are amazing. Very nice people. There's people from all over. There's Europeans here, Americans. Everyone lives here. It's very similar to New York. It's, it's, it's a complete melting pot. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, 265 Police Live Series and the Finest Unfiltered podcast. We just want to honor the life of Alexis J. Martinez. He tragically lost his life. His life was cut short in a tragic, horrible event. And it just goes to show that you never know what cops have to deal with when they go home. We are human. Um, you know, we honor Alexis. We I didn't know him personally, either did Eric. Uh, but we know a lot of people that do, that are very close with him, even some that are family. And, uh, you know, our hearts go out to them and uh, to the entire department. Yeah, likewise. I don't want to go into the details into his death. It's extremely tragic. But I want to honor him in his life and uh, show my condolences and and I'm sure there's an extreme amount of pain and uh, show my sorrow to uh, the Bronx Narcotics Division, the NYPD, where he served and also his family, of course, and his family, the NYPD. Uh, we're here to honor you and, and remember your life. And I have spoken to a lot of different cops and people that work we're close friends to Alexis Martinez and um, there's an extreme amount of pain right now. And he seems to me, he must've been a, an amazing guy because some of the cops I, I I've been in contact with, they sent me some pictures of him playing baseball with some of the cops and um, seems to be that uh, sounds like he was an amazing guy. So I just want to honor him as well. And, and with that, you know, uh, may he rest in peace. All right. So let's get into it now. What, uh, what do you want to talk about first? Well, right now the NYPD is on fire. There's so much going on with Mayor Eric Adams. And uh, so I, we definitely need to give a new segment. Let's start out with talking about the blueprint. Mayor Adams' blueprint when he started out as mayor of New York City is a uh, blueprint for community interaction and uh, his, his plan to mend the community along with the police department and to stop and end gun, gun violence. So, uh, John, you, you're familiarized with it. You and I both have read it several times. Give me some of your thoughts. Yeah, so last year, New York City Mayor put out the blueprint to end gun violence. I was very critical of it. I said it didn't have any details in it. I believed it wouldn't do anything to lower crime in New York City. And I believe that my thoughts and I for, my foreshadowing on that document were very accurate. And I said it seems a lot like Bill de Blasio's last policy of where public safety is taking taxpayer funded money and sending it to not-for-profits. And now here we fast forward to this year, we have a blueprint in his second administration, and this is a blueprint for community safety. 
right? And that blueprint, I feel, is almost exactly the same, if not, if not even less details than the first. Yeah, I think that the if you look at the blueprint itself, I think it's completely ambiguous. I think it's done that way on purpose. And uh, ironically, there's a dichotomy to it, I believe, that it's also actually specific, where it lays out its plan for specific precincts amongst the city. It talks about the, the 4-0, 4-2, I think it's the 4-4, the 7-3, the 7-5, and how th those are the driving driving forces for the for the New York City when it comes to crime. And I think what uh, it's important to note is that these are demographically black and brown neighborhoods. And I think the reason why, obviously, there is a high, high propensity for crime in these neighborhoods, but I think the reason why that these particular precincts are laid out in the blueprint is because it's easy to fault the police department when the records and the documentation shows that more black and brown people will be stopped at a disproportionate rate and it will say it will be easy to say it's because it's planned targeting these specific priests. I mean, Mayor Eric Adams, Borough President Eric Adams, State Senator Eric Adams, Police Officer Eric Adams were all very critical of broken window policing and very critical of policing differently in high crime neighborhoods because. He, what was has been stated is that broken windows is a racist policy, and black and brown neighborhoods are are policed differently than other neighborhoods. Now, I I myself and Eric have been saying for a long time that strategy has been deployed throughout the city, lowered crime. So it was it was it had nothing to do with who lived there or the color of skin of people who lived there. It had to do everything with crime and how we would put more resources in higher crime neighborhoods. And now Eric Adams is the mayor in New York City. By all means, he's the police commissioner. He's running this job, which he's been since he took office. And what we're seeing is he's deploying broken window strategies and he's he's diverting more resources towards black and brown neighborhoods, completely contradicting his stance that he's had the last 30 years. Yeah, I, just want to, I want to piggyback exactly off that point that you just made, which reflects and circle back to what I was saying before. Exactly that. So these particular precincts that are laid out demographically are black and brown neighborhoods. So it's easy to justify in a police department now that's 54% minority majority that when we show the numbers that more black and brown people are going to be stopped because of this blueprint, because of this plan. Uh, again, and this particular plan, I say, is the same horse as the police department was before, just a different color. Neighborhood safety teams, if you ask me, it's a quasi-anti-crime teams. The difference of the neighborhood safety teams, it's the anti-crime teams. It's the same It's the same unit. It's the same, it's the same driven directive, and it's the same mission. But now we have cops with less experience because we need cops with zero to, you know, the zero to little civilian complaint review board exposure, and we need supervisors that don't have much of a CCRB exposure as well. So we have cops with less experience doing the same job. And this is extremely problematic. I think this blueprint is a complete epic failure. Yeah, I think, again, I think it's it's just, it's exactly more of the same. I really recommend everyone go read his first blueprint um, where he talks about how he's going to divert resources and funding to thrive the thing that everyone harps on in, in New York City. Where did de Blasio's wife take the money? Where did the $850 million go? 
call, right? <laughs> Eric Adams did the first thing that when he came into office, instead of auditing that and figuring out where the eight hundred fifty million dollars went, he he funded that 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 project even more. But he changed the name of it, and it's all labeled out in that first blueprint. Then, when you're done reading that, and tell me how that affect how that affected public safety and how that worked, go to the second blueprint, the new one, the blueprint for community safety. Read that. All you're going to see is one section in each topic. There's only one part about policing in there. And on, on the left side of the sheet, you'll see what they've heard from the community. Cherry pick statements from the community. And then they give on the right side of, of each page for each topic they go. They give KPIs, key performance indicators. And they just give a, ge a generic blank statement. Lower the amount of CCRBs. Lower the amount of interactions with police but they don't actually give you the minutia, the breakdown of the details. This is more just funneling taxpayer funds and, and more of the same. This will not lower crime again, second year in a row, just more smoke and mirrors. Yeah, exactly. What John is saying here is that this, uh, the progressive policies that are, it's almost like they're, they're, they're these progressive policies, there's subliminal messages in this particular blueprint, which I think is also what you're saying. And it is because, it's interesting because we're, we're part of our news segment. The next thing that we're going to talk about correlates with what's in this blueprint. Raise the age, right? Which is pretty interesting about these progressive politics that Mayor Eric Adams in this blueprint endorses raise the age. It says in the blueprint that he agrees with the raise the age program, but it needs to be tweaked. And I think there's two or three captions where it talks about particular gun offenses where where uh, a child might be remanded. And they say child because now, because of raise the age, 16 to 17, 16 and 17 year olds, which were considered adults by the criminal justice system, are now considered uh, juveniles, which is extremely problematic because if you're 16 or 17 years old and you're caught with a firearm, your case is going to family court and it's not going to criminal court. And that's why I have a problem with this raise the age. And Mayor Adams completely endorses raise the age. And that definitely correlates to what we're going to talk about next. What are your thoughts on the raise the age? I think it's a horrible policy. I think just the same as bail reform, the same way as decarceral, the same way that we want to get rid of jails. We don't want to imprison anyone. The same way I think the 50A is terrible. I think the empowerment of CCRB is terrible. But all of these things, Eric Adams supported. And before we move on, I just want to play a video for you guys. And Eric, I just want your thoughts on this video as well on New York City Mayor Eric Adams messaging. This this messaging is from July 9th, 2023. This is what we need to recognize. We are managing the most powerful city in this country. Yes. And no one wants to look at it. No one wants to recognize what we've done. We navigated us through COVID. We navigated us through the asylum crisis. We've navigated us through the financial crisis. We've navigated us through the violence that other cities are having to wrestle with. Look at other cities and you see people sleeping in encampments, on the highways, on roadways. You're not seeing that in New York. You're not seeing it because there's a child of God that's the mayor of the city of New York. And I'm clear on my message. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Is he the mayor serving as a as a public official for New York City or is he an entertainer? Because it, it, honestly, 
by this particular caption here, by this video, it's hard to tell. I think he's MCing for New York City. He's full. He's full of garbage. I, I, everything he said there, we're safer. He navigated us through COVID. I don't believe any of that. I believe. I believe New York City was teetering on the cliff right before COVID. Bill De Blasio got out of the car and said to Eric Adams, "What are you going to do? You're going to hit reverse?" No, Eric Adams didn't hit reverse and reverse these policies from Bill de Blasio. He got in the car, he slammed the gas, and he drove us off a cliff. He didn't navigate us out of COVID. Crime is worse. Quality of life is down. 500,000 people have left New York City since New York City Mayor Eric Adams took over. I mean, it's an utter, complete failure. Businesses are fleeing. His whole messaging was nonsense there. I like your analogy. I think it's 100% right. I think you, you're completely accurate. I almost I almost feel like sometimes when I watch Eric Adams speak, especially in this particular video, it's almost like when we were kids and we would play games together and you would shake your head no, but you were saying yes, so you would shake your head yes, and you were saying no. It's exactly what he's doing. He's shaking his head. He's saying yes, but we know the answer is no. I mean, he's telling us that they managed the city. He's telling us that they got us through the asylum. That's funny because... Maybe the public or maybe himself are not looking at the pictures that have been taken by viral news, by Crime New York City. We see it on Twitter day in and day out. We see it on Instagram of what the city looks like right now, how it's just encompassed by migrants. The asylum, the, the asylums are out of control. They have not been vetted. There's no place for them to sleep. There's homeless and caged throughout the entire city. Completely contradicts everything he's saying in this particular speech. Everything he's saying here is complete hogwash. It's, it's, it's all nonsense. And, and if anything he was saying was true, there would be no, no need for this second blueprint while ignoring the first. There would be no need for this further involvement of shipping money to all these unaccountable not-for-profits that do zero, zero to bring crime down. Actually, in some cases, they bring crime up. <laughs> I, I agree with you, I, I, honestly. And uh, you say it, I say it. Follow the money. Let's follow the money in this particular blueprint and see where the money goes. We know the money goes to violence interrupted this violence interrupted program, which is completely flawed. We've had we've had several cases where some of these violence interrupters turn up as they're they're continuing a, a life of crime. We just had a particular violence interrupter that was arrested upstate for some type of narcotics ring. I mean, what type of salaries are these violence interrupters making? Are they actually doing anything? Are they just a face? What action are they taking part of this blueprint other than actually just being on the payroll for New York City? Do we know exactly how they're being accounted for? Are they taking any part? I can tell you one thing we do know. It's completely criminal association. It's the hypocrisy of how Sal Greco was terminated from the New York City Police Department. And that's something that we don't hear about. Absolutely. It's criminal association at its finest because we're paying these violence interrupters to do what we don't know. None of us know exactly what their job entails, how they're paid, what their metrics for success are, right? And here we go. We got this guy who's in charge of, he's against gun violence, Bronx residents against gun violence, right? He's, he's in charge of this program. We don't know how much money he makes. I believe it's a lot more money than a lieutenant in the NYPD makes. And he gets arrested not only for illegal narcotics, but for unregistered, unlicensed firearms. So, uh, so what he's working against, he's actually a part of, 
right? And and he supposedly has a say and works with the New York City Police Department and was spending millions to fund that organization and to pay people like him. I mean, that's a big problem. What has that done to public safety? That has impacted public safety negatively because now we have intel, intricate intel of the police department, how we operate, this person is made aware of. Oh, absolutely. He's now getting the hidden secrets. He's getting an understanding of the nomenclature of the police department. We don't know what type of information that he leaks out to his constituents, to fellow perpetrators out in the street. That's our knowledge. I mean, who's who's holding, who's actually, listen, we have internal affairs to hold the police department accountable. What body, what, what body do we have right now to hold these, these violence interrupters accountable? Other than the feds, or if there's a potential investigation, is there something to counteract them? We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of information that we don't know about this. None of it has been disclosed. I haven't seen any literature on it. Have you seen any literature on this? Probably not. I haven't seen any. No, I've been saying if I want to know how much they make. I want to know if they were forced to do the vaccine mandate. I want to know what happens now that he was arrested. Does he still remain employed? I mean, because we only employed him because he was a criminal and his criminal ties. Right. So does he remain employed? I, I, I that's that. These are all questions. This whole program is shrouded in mystery, yet it's deemed a success, not only by New York City Mayor Eric Adams, but by Democrats across the country. They say that the violence intervention program is a successful program, but every single place it's been implemented, crime has risen. And I got one better for you. Do we think that he was just doing criminal activity upstate New York, where he was just had illegal firearms and drugs only in upstate New York? Or was that just the stash house and the, the illegal activity that was happening was actually in the Bronx out of the office he works in and all of that and all of those things? And what was what's the relationship with the precinct CEO and that person? Are we going to be more hands-on? Are we attacking the criminality that's happening in New York City? Are we turning a blind eye because he's receiving city funds? You know, I'd like to I'd like to know also in this particular violence interrupted program, what's the selection process? I mean, how are they actually selected? Do you have to have how far do you have to be removed from incarceration? I mean, if you did a stint, let's say for ten years, that you, were, you maybe you did a, an armed robbery, part of some some. Uh, some gun apprehension. How far removed do you have to be from incarceration, from time you spent in jail, from time that you spent with your, your fellow co-conspirators, from the time that you actually take part in a violence interrupter program? Is it someone that gets out of jail right away? That's someone that still has access to fellow perpetrators, fellow adversaries, you know, fellow violent perpetrators themselves? Now, now you're taking part in the police department. I mean, it's almost as if we had someone that was an alcoholic. They go to AA, and now they have now they're working in a bar, and they have access to the alcohol, and now they get all the inside information on how on how a bar works, and they have access to the alcohol. I mean, I just think this this program on itself falls on its its face. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, and we're seeing it right now. And it's ironic, right? Because Mayor Eric Adams, in his blueprint, talks about damming these rivers to stop the pipeline of illegal firearms. You've just enabled and created the pipeline with your violence interrupters who know how to get these firearms, who had the firearms in their hands. You're giving criminals high salaries, benefits, and they're using that and taking that money to not only live a nice, luxurious, easy lifestyle, but they're going to take that money and they're putting it on the street. And that's what we're seeing is that's what that gentleman was doing, putting money on the street. 
that we that New York City funded. And he's making more money than the men and the women that run around and combat this and put their lives on the line every day to stop exactly what it's doing. It's a funnel. And honestly, it's it's worse. It's New York City government and the New York City Police Department funding criminal activity. Every taxpayer in New York City, I don't care what side of the aisle on, you should be against the violence intervention program. You should be asking for all the details and specifically narrowing down on this guy and saying, what's going on? Are we still giving him money? Am I still paying him while I go to work six, seven days a week paying taxes? Is, is that what's happening? Because I believe so. That's exactly what's happening. I believe we are funding. We're funding against public safety. Absolutely, 100% we're funding this public safety. This this blueprint, the, the first blueprint and this uh, newest blueprint, I think completely falls on its face. I think it's completely ambiguous. I think if you read through it, some little message of progressive policies, this idea to endorse raise the age, I think it's completely flawed. It talks about, again, like I said, shutting down the pipeline of illegal firearms. How are we shutting down this pipeline when we, when we have violence interruptive programs? who know the violence the best, and they're actually learning the intricacies of the police department. They're learning how to navigate with the police department. I mean, this this association is completely full. This, again, you know, I want to highlight that Sal Greco was terminated for a criminal association with Roger Stone, and yet violence interrupted programs have access to all members of the police department at all times, especially the higher echelon of the New York City Police Department, getting a salary and the rules and the policies of this particular, uh, of, of this violation of criminal association is someone that is likely to engage in criminal association. And these violence interrupters meet exactly that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. It's criminal association at its finest. Why wasn't Sal selected to be, uh, to be a violence interventor then if he was associating with home? I, I mean, he, he would fit the profile then, right, if that was true. But I guess Roger Stone isn't moving guns and drugs, so we we don't we don't want Sal because you know he's not you know he's not involved in, in gun or narcotics trade. So we want to we want to employ people that are that are involved in the illegal firearm trade and 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 narcotics trade to dam those rivers, right? The many rivers that flow into the sea of gun violence. Exactly that. Well, you know what? Let's move on with this new segment here. Let's talk about these riots that just, uh, I mean, a huge uproar that just happened in Union Square. Um, I, I just want to say, of course, you know, John and I are pretty critical and we talk about the truth and expose intricacies of the police department, right and wrong. First and foremost, beyond that, I just want to say uh, that we're happy that the men and women of the police department are safe and we want to see them safe from now and in the future, which is why we need to expose what's going on in the police department, the progressive politics throughout the country, particularly with the NYPD in New York City. So let's talk about these riots in Union Square. Immediately, just from seeing the, uh, this, this chaos and pandemonium, you saw the pictures of some of the videos. What comes to mind? What are your thoughts immediately? I mean, I, you know, social media influencer, Kai, whatever the hell his name is, he's got a big following. He goes, says he's going to give away PlayStations in New York City and Union Square and thousands of kids show up. Right. And it gets completely out of hand. Police departments caught with their hands down in their pants. They have no idea this is going on. Um, I think huge part on huge failure on the part of Intel to, to not identify this properly, to staff it properly so that it didn't get out of hand. And what happened is they took over that part of New York City and you've seen horrible videos 
of you know the upper echelon of the PD after they call win, they get out there. Kudos to them for rushing out once it's there. But now they're surrounded and they're in a situation that's really out of control and very dangerous, not only for the officers, the upper echelon, not only chief of department, Jeffrey Madry, but for everybody in New York City that day. And even just some of those kids that showed up, you know, it's a very volatile, dangerous situation that occurred. Well, first of all, just on space, watch these videos. I see a chaotic scene. And what I see in the scene is mostly mostly youngsters. And this is exactly what we've been talking about. This counteracts this raise the age policy. Most of these kids in, in, in the video, they, they appear to me to be anywhere from about 14 to 18 years old. And with this raise the age, which is on par with bail, bail reform, just coddles criminals. We're, we're teaching our youngsters, these 16 and 17 year olds, that they, they can get away with everything. Everything's going to be a slap on the wrist. And and with this particular incident, this was completely volatile. And we're so lucky right now. We're so lucky right now that we're not talking about the death of a New York City police officer or even a, a chief or any, any MOS. Because, again, extreme poor leadership of the New York City Police Department. And one thing I learned in the Marine Corps is you can't have all your leaders in the same spot. I mean, luckily, they, they were not all attacked at once. But if you want to cut off the, the – you want to cut off – the means in an organization, you cut off the head. And all the heads of the organization are in the exact same spot. Poor leadership, zero plan, no tactics. Yeah, I mean, I think that the leadership failed terribly. And it's not a knock on the rank and file, you know. And I see a lot of these millennial cop social media influencers uh, bashing the kid who had the ply board. And he was he's guarding himself, Chief Jeffrey Madry and a few of the other chiefs as they're surrounded by thousands of people getting stuff thrown at them. So I just want to say from my, from myself, I just want to say that I think you did a good job and I commend you and to you social media influences that are hiding behind fake names and fake accounts, bashing this kid who's in that situation, you're basically just throwing bottles at him too, because what the hell would you do in that situation? What would you do? You could easily be in that same situation and you're throwing stones from a glass house pathetic absolutely pathetic i'm actually sick I'm, I'm, I'm getting very sick of these 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 like uh pro police social media accounts i'm like that are that are completely hidden and have comments about everything but will not stand behind their own words john what you said is fantastic i totally agree with you you know i think that one thing i learned about one thing i learned in the marine corps that i transitioned over to the police department i used to always teach my special ops guys is overcome and adapt and utilize the resources that you have in and around you to accomplish a mission. And, and I can correlate this when, when I was involved in the George Floyd riots, particularly in, in the Mount Haven section of the Bronx, June 4th, 2000, uh, 2020, when we, had, we were attacked with bottles and, and bricks were being thrown. And it was, it, was on a, it was on a hill coming down towards us. We really didn't have a good vantage point. We couldn't see well. So I, myself, and a couple other cops... We jumped on top of a car so we could get a better vantage point, actually get a good view of what's going on. And they actually asked me in the CCRB interview if we were taught that. I said, no, we weren't taught to jump onto a car, but you're taught to utilize the resources. So, again, I want to say what you just said. I commend this cop. I commend these cops that utilized the plywood that they got from a construction site to fend for themselves and to fend for their fellow MOS and to fend for their leaders. That's exactly what they should do. Utilize the resources you have to take action. 
overcome and adapt. For that, I'm proud of those guys that took that action. Absolutely. And, and, and at the same time, I agree that that's an embarrassing scene. But to me, that's a microcosm of Eric Adams, New York City. That is that scene where where the cops are completely helpless and there's thousands of kids pelting them with rocks, bottles and anything that they could pick up and throw. That is the exact scene that the New York City Police Department has no control. And again, it's not because of the rank and file. It's because of the management. This is what happens. You sent management in there and it took them a very long time. They had to call a level four, get everyone in the city there to control this. This is a failure in public safety. And again, we're lucky that nobody died, right? Because it's not just the cops, the people going to work, the tourists. There's people there that seen this chaotic scene that never want to go to New York City again. Some of them live in New York City. Some of them are tourists. They never want to be in that situation again. They're understanding how very dangerous New York City and how exactly what Eric Adams said just a week ago is completely false. Again, the problem also, the New York City Police Department has lost its image completely. You and I just did a podcast that the image of the police department has been resolved, right? The image now is about being black and brown, it's about so-called diversity, which is really discriminatory towards whites, Asians, Muslims, anything other than black and brown. But what we're not talking about here right now is the image that the police department used to have when it comes to respect and authority. And part of that, there's a correlation to public safety. And it's completely lost. The leadership is weak and the leadership is poor. John's going to play a clip right now. Chief Madry speaks at a press conference in regards to this riot. And I think John and I are pretty fair when it comes to Chief Madry. For the most part, we've said he's a good guy. Uh, he seems to be pretty well with the community. But after listening to his speech, I can tell you this. His leadership is a complete failure. It's incompetent. And it's a weak message. And I think at this time is when you have to put your foot down and take these streets back. I think it's a complete weak message. I think he's gotten so used to pandering to this black and brown movement, this Black Lives Matter movement, this progressive woke movement, that he doesn't even realize that he's contradicting himself. And I wonder if he believes what he's saying in this particular speech. John, you want to give any thoughts before you play it? I think it speaks for itself. I think that I think that the video could do more uh, than I could ever say about it. Let's let's play it and talk about it. Control of the scene. The young people out here, all right? And this is one of the first things we recognize the leadership when we all got together that this is a group of young people and we had to be very very delicate in how we handled this all right we wanted the kids to just comply with us and leave but we were met with a lot of resistance we were attacked my older brother just called and told me he saw a video of me getting hit in the head with an object um it, it was a very tough situation out here and i really have to commend the women and men of this department the level of restraint that they showed and addressing these young people, getting this place cleared out. But, you know, when it was time for us to make arrests, we made arrests. And I think we were very professional in how we did this. So the, uh, this is the greatest department in the world. John, you want to go first? <laughs> the, you know, he gave a long speech and he was talking, but I think the the – and there was a lot of other parts that that bothered me, particularly right after this this clip that I played. He goes on to say how the the parents, some parents came there to get their children out. And that's what needs to be done. We needed thousands of parents, not just a few. 
And basically, he's putting the onus on civilians to stop this. Um, and he also, in, in that clip, though, particularly, he says, he says that, he says basically that the scene is completely out of control, but when it was time to make arrests, and it was always time to make arrests because, I mean, you were getting pelted and stuff. I, I think there were over 60 arrests yesterday. Um, and I don't even think that was enough. You know, John, I think that's great that you fight with exactly that time to make arrests. I want to break this, this, this clip down into several frames. And, and honestly, if we wanted to, we could probably talk about this for hours. But I'd like to start out. First thing he acknowledges that this crowd is a crowd of young people, right? Which, yes, they're young people. But right now at this point, they are rioters. They're young rioters with potential to cause the demise of other civilians and law enforcement officers. And what does he say right after that? He says they're young people, and we had to be delicate with this situation. That's where I have a problem with this. Again, you're saying you're being attacked. Your brother watched on TV. You got struck on the head by an object. And you have to be delicate with these youngsters. At the same time, you said you were met with resistance. And yet the cops were extremely professional because they showed restraint. And the last thing that he says, when I break this down frame by frame, is that this is the greatest police department in the world. That statement alone has nothing to do with what he was talking about. And here's the reason why. I've done a lot of research on public speaking. And to be effective with public speaking doesn't mean you have to have the most articulate tongue. But competence means confidence. So if you're competent in your information, you will be confident in your delivery. And he's not confident in his information because he's lacking the confidence, poor and weak leadership. And he's not confident because he knows that the information that he's giving out is complete nonsense and it's complete pandering. On one hand, you have to be delicate while you're being attacked. When are we going to take these streets back and say that we're not going to stand for this? We need a strong message that we're not going to stand for this, and we need to take that image back. This is a point where, unfortunately, that Chief Shell should have been the one speaking in his place. We need, to, we need some balance between Chief Shell and Chief Madrid, someone that could put us in the right direction. There is no direction, you know, and, you know, people are like, oh, you know, we, we couldn't go in there and, and just start beating kids up and nightsticking them and arresting them. I mean, honestly, when you're getting bottles flung at you and there's only five or six of you surrounded, no, you're definitely not doing it at that point. But at some point that does need to be done and it doesn't need to be done after hours of telling someone we're going to arrest you and play this over the loudspeaker. I don't believe there is a direction for the New York City Police Department. And I think what his messaging highlights is how woke and progressive the management has became. You know, you clearly see him fumble from one statement to the next where it's like, well, you know, we got to be hands off with these kids. Well, we need the parents. We're not going to do it. It shouldn't be us. They're young kids. Um, you know, they're just acting stupidly. Oh, but by the way, I got hit in the head with 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 an object, felony assault, right? Felony assault. Um, and 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 almost pretending like that, oh, we need to handle violent youth with kid gloves. Youth can kill you. 14, 13, 12, 
16 can kill you, especially in that scenario when there's thousands of them. That is a mob. I know Brandon Johnson doesn't like to use the word mob. That was a mob. That was mob mentality. It needed to be handled accordingly. I believe that once they had the proper staffing there, they still waited way too long to get that scene under control because of the lack of management. You know, then he fumbles to his next statement, the women and the men pandering to the women movement, pandering to Mayor Adams is first, his, 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 his cadre of firsts. Um, and I believe that the, the management is, is really terrible at this point. And I believe you're right, Eric. He, his messaging was so weak. He's not giving a clear messaging to New York City that, that we're not going to stand for this, that this should have never happened. And they don't want to take the onus of what a major failure this was on the behalf of the management of not only the New York City Police Department, but of this city as a whole. So he fumbles onto, well, it's the greatest department in the world because he really has nothing left to say. And I wouldn't know what to say in that scenario either. It was a failure on the part of the police department. They should do absolutely better. And the messaging should be, this will not be tolerated. And these people will be charged to the full extent of the law, which they will not be. And everybody knows it. You know, it's interesting also that he says what you, what you, what you reflected on. And I don't want to speak about that again. Is he said when it's time to make a rest. And this is where I feel sorry and I feel the pain for the rank and file. Because they don't know what, when, when the time is to make rest. Sure as hell, this upper echelon doesn't know the time because the time to make a rest was an immediate response. Immediately when the crowd emerged and, and the, the community got submerged in this, in this angry mob and they impeded the life of the residents and they impeded pedestrian traffic and they impeded vehicular traffic and and you and I know this, right? Let me just circle back real quick. You and I know this from doing police work. You get those observation skills. And the police department was aware that this was a powder keg because I'm sure there was numerous indicators that this was leading to that point and they could have taken action. Several, a couple of arrests would have alleviated this from becoming a riot. And that's why, again, I don't want to talk too long here, but again, it goes back to what you and I were saying. That de-escalation is taking action immediately. If they would have placed several of those youths under arrest for impeding traffic for some of these low-level crimes, that may have quelled the entire problem right there. I mean, the scene when they're on top of Union Square subway station, you have all these youth sitting on top of the subway station chanting, fuck the NYPD. And we're literally just getting pelted with stuff cornered in pelted you know i you know kudos to you guys and i'm glad nobody got hurt but it was a miracle that nobody got hurt it had nothing to do with the management on that scene it had absolutely nothing to do with the messaging from new york city we have emasculated the nypd me and erica talking about it a lot of people do not like us because we're we're actually pointing out the issues the actual issues that that are going on and we're not just pandering oh the nypd did a great job policing changed so we need to change with it but i policing didn't change policing stopped policing stopped and we don't know how to handle that situation basically what what that how the handling of that situation got got quelled is the kids got tired and went home that's basically that was basically how we policed. If the, if that happens tomorrow, again, there'll be the same response. And what we saw is that a social media influencer has more say over what goes on in New York City than New York City Mayor Eric Adams or the NYPD. And that's a fact. And if this kid wanted to, he could take it over. He could take it over. 
You know, it's pretty funny that you said that because we, we didn't talk about this. But I remember I was watching that video and I said, wow, the only reason these kids went home was they probably got bored. They're probably like, all right, listen, time to go home, right? It's enough of this. You know, when the excitement, it, it, when the excitement and the allure just started to go away, the novelty wore off. All right, it's time to go home. But not for a second do I believe that the police department was professional and, and that they took charge and took control of the situation. Absolutely. I think it was a complete epic fail. Again, I feel sorry for the rank and file. There's no vision. They don't know when to make arrest. In my opinion, the arrest should have been made immediately on the spot. But that's not what happened here. And here's the problem also. John, you and I have been ex extremely expressive about this, particularly myself. I said this all the time, and it's unfortunate. And I might get some, I, I, I might get some hate for this. But it's my opinion. If we keep going on this trajectory, and I said this back when we started this podcast, that we're going to the lo lose the life of a law enforcement from the NYPD to the hands of another, not by a firearm and not by a knife, by a physical confrontation. We're starting to close the gap and we're closing the distance where people are getting very comfortable of putting their hands on the police and there's no reaction, there's no image, there's no aura of respect, and there's no aura of force. It's completely removed. And unfortunately, I hope I'm wrong, but unfortunately, I think we may meet the demise of a police officer to a physical confrontation. I mean, I, I don't, I, I won't argue with you there. I mean, that it could have easily happened yesterday. Could have easily happened yesterday. Like I said, I think it was a miracle that it didn't. Um, and like you said, people are very, very comfortable touching cops, throwing things at cops. And why shouldn't they be? There's absolutely zero consequence that someone is going to pay for what happened yesterday. And I need to know how much are we going to pay the people that filed CCRBs that how much are we going to pay the people that were arrested? How much are we going to pay the people that start to sue because they were arrested because they rioted? Because we just did that with the 2020 riots, right? This was a riot too. I'm, I'm, I want to know what the police department did wrong in this scenario. I want Jamani Williams. I want Letitia James. I want O.C. Che. I want all New York City Council to say exactly what should have happened, what the NYPD should have did in that situation, and how – this should be addressed going forward because let's talk about the rank and file, Eric. What is going to happen to the officers that had to use force to put violent perpetrators under arrest and quell that situation to restore public safety in New York City? What's going to happen to them, Eric? You and I, you and I know it, right? They took action. At, they took action at this riot. So they documented a TRI, which is a threat-resistant injury report. They documented that they used force. That document was referred to the Internal Affairs Bureau, which was also referred in a self-initiated civilian complaint. They're going to be substantiated by CCRB, and then ultimately their biggest problem is that they're going to be held civilly liable for the particular case on a lawsuit, and they're not going to be indemnified for the police department for a riot that could have been quelled immediately. But because it's such a slow response and this pandering to the public, we're actually we're actually igniting the fire and making it worse than it already is. It's, I mean, that's exactly the only people that are going to be held accountable in this scenario are the actual rank and file of the NYPD. It's not going to be the management, whatever they did, whatever happened. The only thing that the only thing that that's is actually a positive for the management, because you're going to see a lot of white shirts get three quarters from this. You're going to see a lot of guys with four or five arrests that are going to go out three quarters from this one thousand percent. But the rank and file police officers are going to be held 
to an impossible standard. They're going to be going down to CCRB, getting substantiated for their actions when they're in the midst of a violent riot where their own safety, the safety of others was imminent, right? Death was imminent in that scenario. And they're going to be held to this impossible standard, be getting substantiated. They're going to be getting liable for lawsuits that stem from this. And nobody's talking about that. And even the rank and file cops, they're going to say, they're all oh, don't listen to those two old retired cops. They don't know what they're talking about. Well, guess what? When you're paying out of your pocket for what happened yesterday, and you're going to be contacting us, I'm just going to let you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going, I'm going to feel bad for you. Eric's going to feel bad for you. We'll walk you through it. We'll talk you through it. But this is this is the reality. And that's why people, I really believe, hate this podcast is because we're getting smacked in the face of the reality of what, what New York City and what those one-storied institution known as the NYPD has turned into. And, it, and it's, it's an emasculated police department. It's a shell of what it was. No, absolutely. And I want to send a message to the haters that we have out there. Frankly... John and I, we don't care. We're not going to apologize for the stuff that we're saying. And the more that people try to silence us because we're having different innuendos and ambiguous, uh, ambiguous complaints out there trying to silence John and I, you're just driving us to speak out even more. We're going to continue this podcast, and you're not going to shut us down. Absolutely not. We didn't fear before. You show us how we'll fear now. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, uh, and uh, I want to give a shout out to God's Work, who had recently changed his name to God's Work 265. Uh, actually, so we'll just go back on that. Uh, 265 is something that Eric actually coined as part of a consulting company. 265 Police Live. And then he actually named it his show, which we're on right now, 265 Police Live. God's work, who says there was no vaccine mandate on on in the police department and and felt confident enough and and cordial enough to let me know that the entire four, six detective squad was unvaccinated because they're friendly with Dermot Shea because he was a Bronx guy. So he gave them all. So I left on my own behalf. The vaccine mandate wasn't real. Dermot Shea is a great guy and he loves Eric Adams. And he posts every day firearm arrest that happened in New York City. Now, I applaud him for supporting the men and women of the NYPD, and I applaud him for supporting the arrests that these men and women are making, putting their lives on the line every day to support public safety in New York. However, that account should never exist. And I'll tell you why that account should never exist, because these gun arrests should not be even be happening. The fact that people are carrying firearms and the amount of gun arrests that we're having are increasing substantially in the last 10 years is a failure in public safety. It highlights the failure of elected leader, elected and appointed leadership in New York City and in the NYPD to give back empowerment to criminals to say you could carry guns. I think that's a great statement. It's absolutely true. I can actually see it's almost it's almost like. I almost feel like my career was separated. It's like a movie. Ever watched the movie Full Metal Jacket? It's it's a movie, but it feels like it's two movies in one, right? There's the boot camp portion, and then the portion when they become Marines and they go to war. It's almost like two different movies inside that one movie. And I feel like my career was, it's almost like completely segregated. As an anti-crime sergeant working in the Lower East Side getting firearms, it was much different. You had to have that real sharp eye. It was a lot of work getting those illegal firearms off the street because people weren't just carrying them. And if you did catch someone with a legal firearm, you knew you just saved someone's life because they were carrying it with a purpose. 
And towards the end of my career, getting illegal firearms, it was much easier because everyone was carrying them. And we were even getting, we were getting uh, arrestees that never had, never arrested in their entire lives. And they just, they just, they just thought they weren't going to get stopped. They just didn't understand it. They thought everything changed. They just thought they weren't going to get stopped and that they had a pretty good chance of carrying a legal firearm for their own protection and not getting caught with it. So one thing I will say this, God's work, one thing we do have in common is we support gun collars, which is what the, uh, the birth of this podcast when it comes to 265 Police Live. 265 is the penal law, uh, penal code in uh, New York State penal law for arresting someone with a legal firearm. So 265 Police Live is supporting making arrests of illegal firearms, get these illegal firearms off the street. So that's one thing we have in common, God's work. But the one thing we don't have in common is that my identity and John's identity, identity is revealed. The whole world knows who we are. We speak out with our names. We speak out with our faces. That's real courage. So I ask you, why are you still hiding behind, behind a police officer that lost his life in, in, on Instagram? Uh, instead of putting out your name and your identity out there. That's real courage, and that's how you support the cops. Yeah, stand behind your words. You can keep supporting. I actually like your page. I enjoy it. I like to see the good work that the men and women of the police department are doing. However, the the fact that you love New York City Mayor Eric Adams is a, is a big problem for me because he does not support, in my opinion, does not support the NYPD. And, and I've highlighted clearly, and so has Eric, clearly – the failures that have happened under his leadership, particularly in the police department. So at the same time, you're saying you support the men and women, you're working directly against them. And, and that is my belief. And that's my issue with you, other than the fact you hide and take cheap shots at me and Eric, and then steal Eric's, <laughs> Eric's name. Keep it. God's work 265. Good for you. Keep hiding behind your name. Keep watching and listening and pretending you're not. And, uh, you know, kudos to you, my friend. You know what, John? I like to talk about next topic, which I think is quite interesting, right? We see this whole image of the police department being refaced, the white executives, the alpha white males, and even white uh, alpha white females of the police department being discriminated against. And we just saw Chief Essex, uh, Chief Essex, who was the chief of detectives of the New York City Police Department, has just stepped down. He's going to seek out retirement. And it came out in the Post, there was an article that according to the new police commissioner, Ed Caban, that he stepped down and he's he, uh, Chief Essex stepped down and he's seeking out his retirement because the police department is going in a different direction. Now, you and I know exactly what that means. Could you explain that to the public? <laughs> I mean, you know, Eric Adams said it the best at the inauguration of the 46th police commissioner, Edward Caban. He said the NYPD has an image problem. It's particularly usually run by elderly white men. And it has a youth problem and an image problem. And to, and to solve that is to basically hire people based upon their race, based upon their gender, based upon their creed, based upon their sexual preferences, which is all legal, federally, state, city, breaks, violates every agency policy of OEL, right? Has there always been nepotism in the NYPD? 1,000%. 1,000% there has always been nepotism. By nepotism, who's closest to the king? Who's, you know, NYPD has always been a game of thrones, right? You're, you're, you're one day you're the hand of the king, the next day you're in jail and you're a peasant and you, nobody cares about you, right? You know, and um, 
So I, I agree with that. But the, the major, major difference, and, we, and me and I get a lot of pushback of, of, because we talk about this anti-white agenda, anti-white male agenda in the police department. We get a ton of pushback, mainly from white people. But some I hear from some black people, oh, it's our time or, or Puerto Ricans or, or Hispanic. It's our time. It's this and that. And that's something that they never heard in their career. Right. They, they witnessed the, the nepotism. Oh, Italian chief of department, Italian kid like myself comes in, boom, gets all the good jobs, gets, uh, you know, goes through goes through the ranks, gets promoted at every level. hundred percent. That's always, always been there. But you never heard it said. You've never heard it said anybody but a white man. And that's what you hear today. Oh, absolutely. I think 100 percent. I think, you know, what, I, what I'd like to see here is that Chief Essex would to actually speak out. I've been asking for the longest time for an elderly white male on the job that's been discriminated against to actually speak out about what's going on in the police department. But already it's it's the, the message in the New York Post. Uh, all I heard from him was a small excerpt that he's he had a, he had a ball. He had a great time on the job. So he's not going to speak out. It's obvious, which to me is an indicator of exactly what I've always said. He's probably paving the way for his own offspring or his own self-preservation. Maybe he has something lined up for himself in the future, just to keep himself busy. So he's not speaking out the truth. It's only about himself. If I had to put my money, it's probably creating the pathway, the, uh, paving the way for his offspring. Again, leads to nepotism. Leading to nepotism. And my other thing is we've never seen these multiple bumps, double bumps, triple bumps, all the way up the ranks. We've never seen that ever. Not that I know of. Maybe it happened before me, but I don't remember it ever. I don't remember it ever. I've only seen it under Dermot Shea and now under under uh, Keychan Sewell and now and now Kaban, right? I've never seen it before that, where where you're going to get a guy who was a captain two years ago and now all of a sudden he's a chief. And my thing with that is what makes that person special that they're moving up the rank of that fast? And what what we've seen is that their commands are a mess. The crime has risen in the commands they've been in charge of. We don't even know why they were given that command so quick. And they've done this stuff in record time. And that is a big problem for me. That overall affects morale. And I do believe there's an anti-white nar narrative, but there's also the nepotism. Because I do believe that the most competent of, of the Hispanic males and the, and the male blacks and the female blacks and the female Hispanics and the male and female Asians and Pacific Islanders, I don't believe that they're going to get they're going to they're going to get fast tracked because of who they are and where they are. And I don't believe that they're going to even get pushed through in this diversity agenda. You have to be the most compliant with all of those things. You have to bow down to the progressive movement and just continue to feed the company line and bullshit. If you push out against anything, you're out, too. You're not going anywhere, too. You're going to go. You're going to have a three hour drive to work and no one's ever going to know your name and you're never going to be given a command. Well, actually, everything you're saying is 100 percent right. And we you know, if anybody wants to actually debunk what we're saying, we actually have the facts right here. So who are we talking about? We're talking about Chief Shepard. Chief Shepard, who was the commanding officer about three seconds ago, two a precinct. His billet as the commanding officer, he was assigned to the two a precinct of September of 2022. As a captain heading the two a precinct as the commanding officer, which is less than one entire year and in less than one entire year he went from captain as fill in the rank 
of captain in the billet of commanding officer of the two-way precinct to now chief in less than a year. I have witnessed in my career, and I know John did as well, in my career in almost 20 years, I witnessed a white executive officer in that billet and in that rank for six years. I witnessed a white captain worked three separate precincts to get promoted to the rank of deputy inspector. I witnessed another Italian-American white captain work in three separate precincts to get to the rank of inspector, which took almost nine years. So, and I'm making the comparison here. What makes Shepard special other than Twitter photos and in compliance? Exactly what you said, taking pictures, calling Alvin Bragg a partner, complete opposition to the police department. This is a huge problem. We thought Tiny Kinsella broke the record. We have a new record here. Oh, absolutely. I believe he was promoted to captain in April of 2020. So for th in three years, he went from rookie captain to, to one-star chief, and I believe he's going to go a lot higher than that too. And that has absolutely nothing to do with his ability because there's no way we can know. And I'd like, you know, for any of our listeners, let me know all the other people that he was promoted with in that class to captain and where they are at now or people before him. Particularly hone in on the male whites and see where they are, what, what commands they were given, what they were in charge of. And then we could go back on their backgrounds as police officers, as sergeants and lieutenants. Right. It's very easy. You know, people today say your arrest record doesn't matter. But I mean, I believe I believe it does. I believe who you are as a cop is who you are as a sergeant, who you are as a lieutenant, who you'll be as a captain, who you'll be as a leader. I believe arrest records are very important. I believe for you to be able to lead. And to tell somebody something, you must have been able to do all of those things yourself. How do you tell people to go out and be the police when you were never that? I think it's a great point. And that goes to setting the example. You should be able, if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be influential, you have to set the example. Let's rhetorically speak here. Let's, let's, for, let's be facetious and say, Shepard is the most amazing leader we've ever seen in the New York City Police Department. And he deserves that bump to chief. Let's just rhetorically say that. If that's true, if that's true, we know in, in order for him to be effective and move up for self-preservation in his rank, to move up as chief, he's going to have to be completely compliant and aligned with Mayor Eric Adams' divisiveness and his image issue and his image correction of the police department of fighting racism with racism. 100%. If anyone, if, if, if he was an amazing leader, if, if he deserves this promotion, he cannot be in that role anymore, any longer. Now, I, I believe that's not true. But if he was, he could not be in that role any longer as if he wants to continue to move up because he has to be exactly that compliant and fall in line with just as we heard Chief Madry speak. He'll have to speak just the same way as Chief Madry. Be delicate with people that are throwing bricks and, 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 and talk how, how great the New York City Police Department is because they show restraint while they're under attack. Absolutely. And guys, if you enjoy our content, please like and subscribe, whatever platform you follow us on, whether it's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, we're on all, our audios are on all major platforms. Please show us the support. It's just a click of the button. It helps us to move up in the ranks and even and even uh, continue to get more subscribers and help to keep this, this coming fully free. Um, so please do that. I'd just like to, before I before I speak on this, I'd like to just uh, give you a word from our sponsors. Um, and, you know, I appreciate all you guys for tuning in.
Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. Just getting back to to the 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 double bump of terror, actually the triple bump, right? Because he was just he was promoted to in, in deputy inspector in less than a year as the as the 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 commanding officer of the two way precinct, right? Where he goes out on Twitter and he thanks his partnership with Alvin Bragg and myself and Eric blasted him that day. I said he's not <laughs> right after he had just indicted a cop for absolutely nothing for an on duty incident, a non issue that the only person that should have been indicted was the person that was arrested, but he didn't serve any punishment. So instead we decided to, so he goes on Twitter, thanking Alvin Bragg up and down. Um, and it was right after that. And I, and in my comment on Twitter, I said, Oh, but don't worry. Thanks. You'll get, you'll get promoted off of this. And that also came to fruition, right? He got promoted. And my thing was I'll play pretend here. And let's just say he was the best leader and best cop that the NYPD has ever seen. So we decided to bump him up. I would just need to know what those metrics were that that determined that. What were the metrics that determined that he was the better leader than his counterparts? Right? Why does he he move through the ranks? And me and Eric did a show on on this exact thing where we actually gave the data from studies of how long it takes for a male white to move from captain to deputy inspector, how long it takes for a female Hispanic as opposed to the number one person in the NYPD to move through the ranks, male black, right? They move at a phenomenally higher rate. And this is, and again, if it's not equal, it's discriminatory. If we don't know what the metrics for success are, how could someone, how could someone walk into the police department and say, oh, this is what this guy did to move up. I'm going to do that too. We don't have that. Well, that's why there's a huge problem surrounded by this also. And like we said, rhetorically speaking, let's say he is, you know what? He's a superhero. He's the most phenomenal leader that the police department has ever had. We can't focus on that because we're focusing on him getting a double bump, being the first black captain or deputy inspector to get a double bump to chief of the New York City Police Department because it's about the first. So that's what we're focused on. And that's what we're told. We have not been provided with any literature or any information 
exactly that or any metrics to evaluate to assess that has showed that he deserves this that he deserves this position that his leadership is just so intense he's just a perfect fit for the police department as it's going in a new direction the only direction that we know is about so-called diversity which means black and brown that's all that we know Absolutely. And for all the all elderly chiefs, the elderly white male chiefs, particularly that are being told to step down, you know, I get a lot of messages all the time. Oh, best guy in the department, greatest guy. I just want to say, I don't feel bad at all for them. I don't feel bad at all for them because what they did, particularly during the, the Bill de Blasio administration, and that goes for everyone that's worked for him all the way through. So I'm not leaving anyone out. Uh, that goes for every chief. What they did was continue to feed the alligator hoping the alligator ate them last. And guess what? The alligator came, and now the alligator ate you. So I really don't feel bad for any of you. You stayed silent through the whole vaccine mandate. You're going to walk out with over 30-something years on the job with a monstrous pension, and you're not going to say a word about what's going to happen, and you're going to make the NYPD and New York City a place that raised you, that made you who you are. You're going to strip that opportunity from future generations because of your silence, because you won't say anything. So I got to say, if you did exhibit leadership at any time and you were that great sergeant, that great lieutenant, and that great captain, and that great one-star chief, you are no longer that. This is your legacy now. Put Bow your head in silence and walk away like a good boy and pretend that you left on your own fruition, even though the police commissioner is telling somebody a totally different story. So I don't feel bad for them at all. Sayonara. I love what you said because I don't feel bad at all. And again, that's their legacy. I agree with you. You know why? Because I don't believe it's how you start. I believe that you're remembered on how you finish. And every one of these guys, Jimmy O'Neill, Dermot Shea, Chief Essig, Joe Fox, they've all finished the same way. Compliant old white men, weak and cowardice because they never speak up and they never talk about the discriminatory atrocity that's going on in the police department as we speak. Why? Again, I always say it because they're paving the way for their offspring in the New York City Police Department. It's all about self-preservation. It's about them and their families having a legacy of making money and being part of the police department. Public safety and about what's right and wrong and about morals and principles, those take a backseat. Absolutely. And I don't even believe that paving the way for that offspring. I think that they're, they're temporarily giving them comfortable, cushy jobs in a job that they can no longer effectively do, right? Because we said... None of these chiefs have stood in solidarity and will go back out on that street. I mean, look at them yesterday. They had no idea what to do. Same way that the police department, the, the rank and file of the police department had no idea what to do. When it was time to make arrests, it was always time to make the arrest. We never had to wait for legal or wait for a three-star chief to tell us when to make arrests historically. That was the job of a police officer. And then supposedly at some point we gave our police officers discretion and stopped training them and started putting them on a computer system where you just clicked a box and and that all this, we have all this training that we don't, right? We have all this hands-off, nonsensical training. Yeah, they're trained. Who cares? Look, it says it right there on that computer screen that they clicked the button a few times, you know. And now we're gonna, and now you know, we're gonna just pretend like these people are great leaders. They're not. I don't feel bad for one second. I honestly, I'm waiting for someone to just come out and tell the truth. Hey, listen, I was asked to leave because I was white. Shout out to Lori Pollock. Shout out to all the female chiefs that actually grew a pair of balls and said, I'm suing this job because they went directly against what they're saying. They're saying that they're saying they want to promote women, but here we are chiefs who served 30 something years in the police department. And because we're elderly women, you're pushing us out of our jobs. 
screw you, we're suing you. They were the only ones, again, I'll say it, women, particularly during this time, during this last three years, have shown way more cojones than any male in the New York City Police Department. Males have been neutered. Oh, absolutely. I, I also want to reflect on one thing. I want to go back because I think this is a point that we missed. I, I just wanted to mention it came to mind. When we talk about the riots, right, uh, we see that with the chaos and the pandemonium that, that ensued. And, and I think what it's connected to also, which is extremely problematic, is the mass excess and the recruitment problem, which correlates of why there was no intel. Because it's my opinion, and I've been saying this, that if you're in the squad – or if you're an intel, or if you're one of these special specialized units, the cases are probably taking a seat back because these guys have to fill seats of patrol because right now we're in a diminished police department. So the intelligence and all these cases are not being provided for in the manner that they should. This was not properly manned. This there was no intelligence for this particular this particular riot because we're in a diminished police department. So they're not talking about that. This mass excess and this recruitment problem is affecting public safety. And we saw it right here. And the only reason that these police officers and these chiefs and all these law enforcement officers that were on the scene are safe is pure luck. And we've been surviving on luck. But luck runs out. And it's unfortunate. But there's zero plan. And the manner that they're going with this mass excess is just not sustainable. And their safety is at risk. And not only that, they're being led by poor leadership. Again, I've watched that scene. Why do we have all the leaders in the same spot together? I mean, God forbid, if you wanted to take out the police department, all you need is a sniper in one spot. You're taking out all the heads of the police department that make all the decisions. It's completely idiotic. It's poor leadership. They should be separated, and it should be a small unit leadership breakdown. Yeah, and who do we see moving in constantly to make arrests? White shirts. With all with the, with the people, the younger, healthier, stronger cops standing in the background waiting to just who's going to process the arrest. It should it should be the exact opposite. And I'm not saying that that I I do believe from leadership from the front. But when it makes sense, you can't manage a scene and be right directly in the front line itself. That's why you 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 have frontline supervisors. That's why they're called frontline supervisors, sergeants and lieutenants. Shouldn't be three-star chiefs putting their hands on people making arrests. They're elderly males. I mean, you could see them struggling physically to walk when nothing's going on. I mean, come on. I, th these these aren't the people that should be moving in. But this is this is the the progressive, emasculated New York City Police Department, and we could see there is a complete bias in investigation, and that CCRB, particularly for whatever reason it is, does not go after these these high ranking police officials. They go after the rank and file of the NYPD who follow the orders of these of these men and women. I mean, that's a shame. That's why I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I think ultimately, Mayor Adams, obviously. Mayor Adams and Phil Banks, yes, they're the, the co-captains as commissioners of the police department. But ultimately, the boss, the one that actually pulls the strings for the police department right now is the civilian, civilian complaint review board. And it's affecting public safety. And it's affecting the leadership and the breakdown of, of the police department. Exactly that. They should be leading the charge and having the police officers make the arrest. Can a chief actually handcuff people and make arrests? Yes. When it's feasible, when there's a time, but it's a time for them to be leading, taking the charge, and they can't, and, and they're not having the cops do the job because they've put themselves, and I get it, they put themselves as the layer of protection. If the white shirts of the upper echelon 
actually engaged physically with this violent crowd, then they saved the police officers from the civilian complaints. And that's a shame. Why isn't anyone standing up? Ed Caban, you have an opportunity to stand up as the police commissioner, the first Hispanic, to stand up and say, listen, we can't run the police department when we're under the under the rule of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, when they have no expertise about policing and we can't actually effectively do it. We need our police officers to put their hands on the people because they, but they can't. They can't because of CCRB. And that's it. We're going to leave these people out to dry. New York City Mayor has not, Eric Adams has not spoke out about this riot at all. He applauded the men and women of the New York City Police Department. And he did because they saved his ass and they saved a group of unruly juveniles and some adults from taking over New York City and even worse. There were Uber cars that were smashed. There were police cars smashed. There were businesses that were smashed. There were people that were assaulted. Cop lost his gun. Cop was slashed in the neck. All of these things will not hit the media. You will not hear about any of this because, again, he's just fighting your perception of reality. They are not fighting crime. This is not this is not an effective administration. I truly believe he should step down. People are all over social media. Oh, it's not the mayor's fault. Nothing's the mayor's fault, right? He called for more migrants. They're here. And now he can't handle it and he's crying to the feds, right? Same thing with crime. He said he was going to solve it. But what does he do? He cries to the feds. The only thing New York City Mayor Eric Adams does is point fingers of problems that he advocated and cheerleaded on. And then when the problems come that everybody said they were going to come, he cries to the federal government for more money to take New York City taxpayer money and throw it in the flames and light it on fire and send it out to his friends and to go absolutely nowhere with. Where are his guns ours? Where are all of these appointments that he put in the in the police department? What have they done? Crime is up and it's up big. And yet he with with no with no with no regard for anything is just throws a whole marketing campaign up yesterday. Right before the riots, how crime is down. You're safer than you've ever been. And New York City is the safest big city in the world. And that is a lie. You know, sometimes I wish, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes I wish that the cops thought more of themselves and actually thought that they harbor more intellect than they do. And the reason why I say this is because sometimes you look at the ideology of the cops, it's almost like they're, they're, like they're little puppy dogs, you know. And Mayor Adams is, is is their dog owner. And, you know, you could have a dog, leave him home by himself for an entire week. But you come home and you just hand him a treat and he'll lick you to death. And that's what's going on with Mayor Eric Adams. You know, the cops, I get a lot of heat from the cops. I know you do too, John. And some of them, you know, Mayor Adams, you know, he's a lot better than Blasio. He stands up for the cops. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? He's taking a picture with Alvin Bragg, with the two of them with their hands together in the shape of a heart. I mean, that's your opposition. He, that's your opposition, and he's taking a picture that they have, they're teaming up together, and there's a coalition. You can't have that, and at the same time, he's supporting you. So stop being those puppy dogs that he leaves you home by yourself for an entire week. He comes home and hands you a treat, and you're licking him to death. He doesn't care about you, and he's not backing you. Wake up. Yeah, and to everyone that I get daily messages, go enjoy your retirement. Stop talking about this. But nobody <laughs> ever, ever come at me with anything to debate me, to debunk what I said. They'll never say that. They'll just tell me, go enjoy my retirement. And it's not just on social media. I get it from family and friends as well, right? And the thing I always say to my family and friends is, 
I said, when did you not know me to talk about this stuff? You want me to stop talking about it in retirement after I had my career stripped from me? Thousands of people got their career stripped from me. And you want me to pretend like it's not happening the same way that you're pretending like none of this is happening. And I understand the anger and I understand the angst. But I don't ask any of you to follow me on social media. I don't ask any of you to listen to my podcast. I don't ask any of you to listen to Eric. I don't ask any of you to do anything. You guys do that on your own fruition. So if you don't want to hear what, what I believe my truth is, or what Eric believes his truth is, if you don't want to hear that, don't follow us, don't listen. But obviously, you know what we're saying is resonating at some point with you, whether you agree with it totally or you don't. And we're starting the conversation and we're giving cops back a voice and a platform to actually say the issues, narrow down on the issues that are going on instead of just saying support the police, back the blue, blue lives matter. Because obviously that's tired and it hasn't done anything in the last decade, but make your job increasingly work, diminish public safety in New York City, lower the quality of life in New York City, and force people like myself to get the hell out of the job, to force people like Eric Dim to get the hell out of the job, to terminate and run through the mud people like Sal Greco who did absolutely nothing wrong. And oh, the old statement, they can't do that. They can't do this. Apparently they can do whatever they want. And you're going to bow your head down like a good little boy and wag your tail and say, okay, daddy, just, if you just pet me and say, I'm a good boy, I'll pretend like all this is fine. So please, if what I'm saying, I mean, I don't know how you ever friends with me to begin with, because this is stuff that I've always talked about, you know, don't fucking listen. That's it. It's that simple. (laughs) You know, dude, it's great. You know, I, I was reading some of John's comments on, on, on Instagram and, and some people are telling John, you know what, go go enjoy your retirement. Can you play golf or something already? You know, so it, I guess there's this kind of ideology that people think when you retire, you should kind of just fade away and go away and just pretty much die and shrivel up and, or, or never be, you know, maybe you're seen but never heard from again. And you know what? You know what I say to these people? I know John well, especially, you know, working together and, and doing this podcast. He is enjoying his retirement, and so am I. We are. And part of enjoying our retirement is doing this podcast. So we're not going to stop anytime soon. We're going to continue to do this. If you don't like it, don't watch it. But I think the funny part is most of the people that don't like what we're saying because we're saying the truth, and the truth is a scary thing, and it pierces places in their brain that they don't want to talk about, they're watching it the most. So for you... Thank you so much for the support on that. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I just, you know, I, you know, I, I just, I never tell anybody what to do. I don't, you know, I, and, and like, that's the thing. I just find it hysterical. I do find it hysterical that everybody's very concerned about what me and you were doing in retirement, but they were not concerned about the reasons that forced us into retirement, right? Have unions. Oh, I wish you guys would stop the podcast. I wish you guys would stop talking on social media and go live your life and enjoy my living my life and enjoying my life is not keeping my head buried up my ass while someone's throwing sand on the rest of it and making this world a worse place for my children. That's not enjoying my retirement. Right. And I'm not retired. And neither is Eric. We might be retired from the New York City Police Department, but we're young, healthy and vibrant. And like I said, we could still blow through. That whole, the whole JST, no problem. We could still keep up with all you young guys. 
no problem. And guess what? You couldn't use us working yesterday. I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll do one even better. If anyone doesn't believe it, if you want, you can challenge us at any time. You know what? Set it up. Pay for us to fly to New York. I will go and I'll do it. I'll put it on social media. I'll do the JST. And I tell you what, you can give me a couple of 20-year-olds in the New York City Police Department right now. And I tell you what, I'll probably get just as good time or maybe better than they have right now. And I tell you what, I won't even prepare for it. You can call me on the fly and I'll go there and I'll pass that JST. And I know John will as well at any time. And then I'll show you documented injuries from both of us that went from line of duties that we never stayed out for, never did anything for, diminished lung function, slip discs in my back, bad knees, bad shoulders, same for Eric. We'll show you all those things for people that are out with three quarters. Oh, because I got surgery for my, my tear in my shoulder. Put, put Eric's shoulder under an MRI. So let's see what that looks like from, from, from the New York City Police Department. Do an MRI on my back. Let's see what that looks like. Let's do, let's do those things. Get, you know, because, you know, and, and, and that's the other thing. It's like, you know, all these people, they got three quarters. You know why they're staying silent? Because they don't want anybody looking at them. That's why. Because they're full of shit. Because the majority of those injuries, and especially on the New York City Fire Department, I mean, guys that actually do get hurt in New York City Police Department have a bigger problem. You know, 96% of the, of, the, of the FDNY come out with injuries and get three-quarter pensions. And, you know, that's why they're, they're silent. Everybody's got – everybody that, that comes out that we're talking about, they stay silent because they're still on the company dole. And everyone that hated Eric Adams now loves him because they're all looking for jobs from him. So, And, and anyone that, that's saying that we're wrong without pointing anything out, you, you're in that category too. Yeah, I, I agree. And keep – and keep in mind also, you know, we, we know who you are. I mean, I don't know every single person, but John and I know a lot of people on this job that used to talk shit about Eric Adams before he was mayor. So Eric Adams, if you watch this podcast at all, you heard it from us. It's the truth. We've heard it where they bashed you and talk shit about you. And I'll say, I'll admit it. I talk shit about you too. And so did John. But we're still doing it now and I still did it on the job. But they were talking shit about you before. And now they're shaking your hand and they're taking pictures and they're kissing your ass. And you know what? One thing I'll, I'll admit by, about Mayor Eric Adams is that he knows it and he's laughing about it. So he's like, look at these motherfuckers. They were talking shit about me and now they're kissing my ass. So for that, you know what? I give kudos to the mayor because he's playing them just as they think they, as he's play, they're playing the mayor. He's playing them. So you know what? After his one term, and I hopefully it is one term, are you going to go take sh talk shit again about him again? What's going to be your stance then? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the funniest thing, and I, and and I think he thinks it's the funniest thing too. I mean, he does. When that talk shit about him, they tried to fire him. They all kiss his ass now. Oh, the, the mayor's doing everything he could do. He's not doing anything he could do. He's not doing anything. But yet they'll go to bat for him. They'll do everything, and it's not just those in the police department it's the conservatives staten island gop i'm talking to you guys all of you joe Borelli, nicole malitakis Carr, uh lanza whoever all of you facella all of you guys you're all full of it you're all full of it you're all oh jimmy otto he's my favorite jimmy otto who's now the buildings commissioner eric ulrich who just got indicted who was also was also a republican conservative um out of uh queens i believe 
Um, he just got indicted and then he replaced him with Jimmy Otto, another guy who was never going to work for these lefties and all this stuff. Everybody's just looking for the dole. Everybody's just looking for a big job. Uh, obviously me and Eric aren't, and I, you know, we don't care. And I, you know, I personally think, I, I honestly think I'm Eric Adams' best friend. I think I'm his biggest fan because I actually tell him what I believe where none of these people do. One more thing I want to mention. I know we didn't, we didn't mention earlier we're about to do our news, news segment, but I think it's important to mention. Uh, talk about what's going on in the city right now. They say crime is down. You and I know that's complete farce. But quality of life, just the appearance of New York City on, on a whole, is just disastrous. And, uh, and I took pictures in, in Bangkok. I was just amazed at how clean the subways are, the trains, how people are nice, and, and, and how safe I feel on the trains at all times of the, times of, of the day, especially at night. And I, I put pictures out in comparison of what's going on the subway and, uh, and the train here in Bangkok, subway in, in New York City. But right now, there's a huge problem in Queens that we see. It's basically become almost like a quasi-red light district. And uh, we're just uh, the prostitution is out of control. The sex workers all over the place. They have uh, trans sex workers. And it, it's just becoming a real eyesore for the community there. W what are your thoughts on that right now? Because... Uh, I've heard a lot of different stances on this. What do you think about this? Again, we're a progressive New York City. We moved away from minor crimes, right? And apparently our politicians and the police department and our district attorneys believe that prostitution is a minor crime and Johns are a minor crime. But I believe that they're very short-sighted because I believe most of these women are sex trafficked. Most of these women are mentally, physically drug addicted. They're abused by pimps and sex traffickers. And I believe that that is another failure in public safety. And you see it highlighted on New York City streets. It will bring in New York City back to the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. It's absolutely disgusting. It's a travesty that nobody's talking about it with these women. And, and even, even for years, like with these massage parlors, and they have these women in there, they're all sex trafficked. You know, I would hear people, oh, I'm going to a massage parlor. I'm getting a hand job. I'm like, you're a fucking animal. You're disgusting. That disgusts me. I would never do that. Like the, these women are sex trafficked and you're going to get a hand job because you can't get laid, I guess. Or, or they were just waiting to get another promotion so that women in the police department might find them attractive or someone out in, in, in New York. <laughs> because that's the only way half of you are getting laid anyway. So, I mean, it's it's, you know, it's absolutely disgusting. And it's it's a travesty and a and a failure. It's a complete complete failure in public safety, and it just diminishes the quality of life for everyone in New York City. It's disgusting. Yeah, you know we, we talk about this right. Appearance is not everything, but appearance is important, right? If you went to someone's house and you were a guest at someone's house, and the house is completely neat and it's and it's kept well, that's the way you're going to treat it, right? If you see the house is neat, you're going to take your shoes off. You're going to sit on the couch and make sure that it's clean. You're not, you know, you don't want to, if you're eating something, you're going to make sure you don't want to drop any crumbs because that's the appearance of it. And, and it's the same thing. When you're in a neighborhood, if the appearance of the community is that it's kept well and the streets are clean, that's how you're going to treat it. And if, if it's complete ISAR, the community just looks like a mess, and that's how it's going to be treated. Along with that, it's, go, it's going to be layers. And on top of that, people will treat the streets differently. They'll throw trash on the street. They'll treat people differently because the community isn't a complete eyesore. I think, I, I just think it's a shame to, to let it go like this. And it, again, they've already foreshadowed how of the plan of New York City is. 
it's just about addressing major crime and, and the low level minor crime is is not going to be touched and and, and people the communities are, are pretty much left to fend for themselves and nobody cares nobody's saying a word Nobody's saying a word. Eric Adams is doing a great job. New York City Police Department leadership is doing a great, great job. They're heroes. They're valiant. Um, and it's, it's, it's an absolute travesty. I mean, and it just highlights it's, it's exactly what Tiffany Caban want. I believe it, it's, it's, we're seeing a lot of it in her district where she's, where she's a city councilwoman and where she ran to be the district attorney. Um, she ran against Melissa Katz. And I, I think that she may run again. She may even seek higher office and she may get it because we're not getting enough pushback from the public, the men and women in the New York City Police Department and from these unions. Their billboard trucks, if you notice, only go after very select, very small group of politicians because they don't want to go after people that they donated to. But I believe that's exactly wrong. And I believe they should. And I believe they should highlight exactly we donated to this person in the past. And that was a large mistake. And we're never going to do that again. This person does not support public safety. But obviously what you see in New York City, it's a big grift. Everybody's just looking for a payday. Public safety has became a grift. And that's it. The violence in the prevention program is a major fail. These two blueprints are major fail. Can't wait to see what the blueprint is going to be next year. It's going to say the same exact thing as it said the last two years and do absolutely nothing to diminish crime. And they'll still be painting this picture that crime is down. I'm curious about the about the blueprint itself, because there's no mention of a sustainable a sustainable plan for how they're going to combat crime in the subway system. You know, all we heard is, is that that little excerpt from Chief Kemper, which we think is you know complete hogwash, and is about Wi-Fi and and about avoiding a confrontation. But what is the actual plan for, for subways in the future? Because the plan that they have is completely not sustainable. Just we don't have the manpower for it, and we're seeing it right now. We don't have the manpower to address a disorderly large crowd in Union Square. We don't have the manpower to make sure intelligence is done properly. So. Right now, we're losing on all ends. It's just completely falling apart. And they're and what they're doing is they're robbing from Peter to pay Paul. So they, they take police officers from units that could be doing cases to put them on, in the subways. They take police officers from precincts to put them on the location. They take precincts, police officers from the admin positions to fill other spots. So we're just moving these pieces around, and, 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 and things are falling through the cracks. What do you think they could do right now with a diminished police department? They need to bolster the police department because they're going to continue to lose in a mass exodus. They're going to continue to get more retirements. You know, I just saw yesterday a person vested with 19 years and one month as a sergeant. Um, you know, it's it's we're going to continue to just see more people leave, resign, young people. The attrition rate of how people are resigning before they even have five years is being hidden. I mean, that's a very, very scary thing because they're not even coming close to the numbers of people retiring with the classes they're putting in. So, you know, you have this whole new added element. I think if they don't bolster the numbers right away, uh, we gave the solution on the last podcast on how they should do it and they're unwilling to do it. And what you're going to see next is you're going to see uh, Kathy Holchill signing bills that illegal immigrants could be cops in New York City too. And, and that's how they're going to do it because they're looking for compliance and obedience. They are not looking for competence and, and actual people that want to do this job because no one knows what the job is anymore.
So I, I, you're going to just see more failure. It's going to get worse. And the department's going to continue to implode on itself. Dude, I, I think that's an amazing statement. It's so true. I, I, I think about that right now. And I, and I wonder with these young people that are on the job right now, if we had to ask them, you know what, fill out a resume, fill out what your job entails, or write me a story about what it is to be a police officer. I don't think they would know what to write down. But that's, a, that's a great point that you just made. I mean, what is the role of a police officer today? What is the role of, an, of the police department? What is the role of the New York City Police Department, particularly in the largest metropolis in the entire world? In the epic, epic, epic center of the world, what is the role of a police officer? What is the role of the police department? That's a great question. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I'd also love to know, you know, I'd also love to know, like, confidential informants, right? I'd love to know those numbers. I don't need to know who it is, obviously, because it is confidential and we wouldn't want to endanger anyone's life. But I would love to know, are those numbers up? Do we have more confidential informants than we did than we did 10 years prior? I'm going to say absolutely not. I'm going to say the trust, respect, and fear of the New York City Police Department has diminished so much. I believe those numbers are in the toilet. I don't even know if these FIOs have confidential informants anymore, or they're just doing street rips because everyone's carrying guns. You know, I, I don't believe anyone trusts the police department enough to keep them safe, to cooperate with them going forward. I don't believe that that is that is, that is that is the case anymore. I think that it, that's another huge failure. And things that we've seen like yesterday with that riot, you're going to start to see a lot more of this, a lot more of the prostitution, a lot more of the graffiti, a lot more of the drug sales, a lot more of the random assaults, and a lot more of the shootings, unfortunately, and stabbings. I actually, uh, first of all, I think you're 100% right because I saw it with my own eyes as a special operational lieutenant towards the end of my career, the amount of informants that we had, because I, I did uh, coordinate with the uh, field intelligence officers in the precinct, the amount of confidential informants that we had immensely diminished. And the reason why it was affected by the bail reform, the discovery laws in cases right now of having to release all parties in, in a particular case. And also what was scary about that is the Civilian Complaint Review Board. You know, I had a, a, a huge argument and uh, I was charged with misleading statements because I would not release the identity, identity of a confidential informant to the civilian, uh, the CCRB. So that's a huge problem. I, and I would say right now, anyone that uh, there's no also there's no leverage anymore to actually hold someone to or an incentive to incentivize someone to become a confidential informant because there's. There's no repercussions for being in possession of marijuana. You're not going to jail for having a small amount of, of illegal drugs on you. I mean, even if you do an actual crime of violence, there's not a likelihood that you're going to jail. So there's no leverage for someone to become an informant. So you have that aspect of it. And also, like I said, with the bail reform and potentially releasing identities, most of these cases have, the, have a chance of going to trial in much more comparison than they did before when cases were put out and you could you could – hide the identity of a confidential informant. So I think that's a huge problem. You're 100% right. I think I, I would say for the most part, these field intelligence officers are not dealing with confidential informants in the manner they were before. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, and, and that just goes back to, and the only reason I brought that up is because 
historically, now I want to, I want to say historically, but in the time that me and Eric were, were police officers, people really didn't carry guns on the street. Like Eric said, they only brought the gun out when they were actually going to do something. The majority of gun arrests were not happening on New York city streets because there was a fear of being stopped in the New York city police department and being arrested because of the consequences you would suffer from the district attorneys. So the majority of gun arrests came from search warrants and came from CI information. This guy's going out to do a drug deal. And when he does, he's going to have a gun on him. This guy's going out to shoot somebody right now. And those were the majority of gun arrests where today the majority of gun arrests are just at random jobs, 911 jobs. And I believe Eric, you're a hundred percent right. If you ask the young cop what they do today, it's not what me and you did. And I can tell you exactly what me and you did. We went in every morning early, every morning or every night. Me and you work nights the majority of our career, six to two at night. But we would head in early. We would run every complaint in the precinct that we served in, as well as the surrounding precincts. We identified the, the, the patterns that were happening, the, the, the crime patterns that would happen. And we would target those areas and we would target the known recidivists as well as who's known to frequent that area. And we would go after them and we would arrest them because when we solved those patterns, there were consequences for those criminals. Now we see a whole influx of all of these criminal patterns. When people are arrested, they're just continuing the pattern after they're arrested because there's no consequence. So and I don't and I believe that became a whole breakdown of having cops like me and you to go after and target specific people. And that's being done more by specialized units than who it should be done by the average rank and file of the NYPD. Wow. It's beautiful. It's, it's exactly what's going on. And that is exactly what, what we did and what, you know, what it was to be a cop was to understand, to do your own crime analysis and to understand your area of employment, your geographical area of employment, right? You knew even when you and I were brand new and we did impact, right? For the most of the public that, uh, that watches this, they know what impact is, the police officer, but anyone who's not a police officer, uh, impact was, working in zones where there's high propensity of violence and you walk a foot post in housing or, or somewhere, some busy area where there's a high propensity of violence. And you learned how to become a cop on the street. You learned observation skills, right, John? And you learned, you learned that grit of dealing with the public. And you learned the players. You knew the crimes. You wanted to know everything about your post. And that's one thing I say is completely lost. I don't want to go on a too much of a tangent here, but I would always say, like, we lost that pride. Like, I watched the young police officers as I was leaving the police department towards my retirement, work a post, and there was no pride anymore. Like, hey, this is my post. There's, no, there's not going to be a shooting today. No one's going to sell drugs on my corner. I mean, they literally shared their post with, with the perps. They got to the point of watching these police officers pretty much just sharing their post. They're standing there, and the bad guys are standing there together. John, when you and I got in the job, when you got a post, you told the guys, listen, uh, listen, I get it. You guys got to do your thing. But today, this isn't your corner. Today, this is my corner. You remember what I'm talking about. Absolutely. But you don't have any tools or resources to, and there's no fear, and there's no respect of the cop today. There's absolutely zero respect for police today. You know, and, and, and that's the major problem. We're going on super long now. We're at an hour and 38 minutes. I just want to bring up one more point before we get out because I, I received so much, so many emails, so many inboxes about our comments on the radio encryption. 
And I just want to speak on that for one second. And then Eric, I'd like you to speak on it as well. Um, my contention is that yes, encrypted radios can provide officer safety, but they can diminish officer safety as well, right? The least transparency there is, particularly when you're seeing a corrupt department, a corrupt mayoral administration, things like that we documented on April 4th, 1972, when police officer Philip Cardillo was murdered in the line of duty. And we've seen an overwhelming push from City Hall to detract from his murder and paint it almost as he killed himself because they didn't want the bad press and they didn't want to have to come down because it was politically inconvenient for them to go after who his murderers were. Read the book, Circle of Six. Things like that could happen when radios are encrypted and there's going to be no recourse for you to have. Now, if you want to say people shouldn't have things in real time, absolutely. I could 100% agree with that. If you want to say there's a 12 hour or 24 hour delay from the public being able to attain those radio calls, I agree with you a thousand percent. There's no people why people need to know where the police department's moving in real time. But I also want to say, if you believe that this is being done for your safety, I believe you're not paying attention to what's going on. They are trying to remove transparency from every agency in New York City. And that is why I spoke out against the encryption. That are my thoughts on that. And I, and I truly believe your safety is one of the last things that this administration is concerned with. I mean, listen, we, we see it with the police department on all fronts. The safety of the police officers is always last of, of importance. It's, it's, it's not imperative at all. I mean, we saw, we saw Chief Madry out of his mouth say that at a violent, chaotic, pandemonium riot, that they had to handle it, the situation in a delicate manner, and that the, it's the best police department in the world, and it should be professional as they show restraint. So, so to believe that encryption is for their safety is just completely idiotic. Like you said, they were only scratching the service and not paying attention. We've had radios, I think, since the 70s, uh, completely transparent. It was never a safety issue. Yes, we have a couple of channels where we could keep those encrypted, where we can discuss tactics. I have no issues, honestly, with the radios uh, being completely transparent. Like you said, if it's not in real time, that's fine. But I have no issues with that. If they know where the police department is, I mean, we do have GPS and things like that. They do have the citizens app. Uh, I have no issues with it. I'm fine. As long as we have a couple of channels where we could discuss police tactics to make an arrest or certain tactics that we may use that the public should not be privy to. Other than that, uh, to believe that this is for the safety of the police officers, again, they're not paying attention. You might as well believe that the GPS is on the, on the cars, on the cars of the police department for your safety as well. And if you believe that, you know, you might as well buy a bridge. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything is done to, to, to weaken the police department and they're, they talk about accountability for police. And today, New York City Police Department, if you're a police officer or you're a sergeant, you're a lieutenant, you're a captain, you are the most accountable person in the world. It has the high you have you deal with the highest amount of scrutiny of any profession, of any job, of any organization in the entire world. Hands down. The pressure you people are under is completely immense. We're still feeling that pressure even in retirement. And so that's why we're here talking about it. We got an upcoming episode with a doctor who wrote a book, uh, Dr. Baumber from, uh, she wrote a book, Surviving Retirement. And we're going to talk about that as well. And that's what we're doing here. We're expressing our feelings, our thoughts. If you don't agree with it, by all means, contact us. 
come on the show. You're welcome. I mean, this is, I don't want it to be an echo chamber. I was just telling Eric, we're going to start to do more interviews. Eric's on a 12 hour delay, but we're going to start bringing in a lot more people. We have a huge, a huge list of people that want to come on. And we, and that, and that's what this really is for everyone to explore their thoughts and their reality, you know, and, and Eric always says, you know, we're seeking the truth here. We are, we're seeking our truth. We're seeking your truth. We're seeking everybody's perspective. So feel free, come on. If you listen to us and you don't like us, feel free to come I mean, you heard us with Cop Watch. We did not beat Jose Lazala at all. We let him speak his truth. Yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, any, any, anyone thinks that we're doing this to bash the police department or in anger, uh, they're not paying attention and you're not actually listening when you're watching. Uh, you're just pointing fingers. I mean, here I am. In, I'm in Bangkok. I'm 11 hours ahead of John right now. We're working together to get this, get this content out. Uh, we spent a lot of time researching information, uh, coordination with one another to make sure that we're giving you the correct information, correct perspective and analysis, being fair, being professional, treating you with respect, uh, and treating the subjects with respect. And that's that's what this is about. It's, just, it's not just about the police department. It's about what's going on in the entire country and talking about the truth of information. And, and we have to. Someone has to stand. If we didn't stand up, if we didn't stand up for what we believe in, we wouldn't be the... You would not be the country that we are today. We'd probably speak in a different language. You wouldn't have the amendments, the rights that you have, freedom of speech. So it's important that we speak up about what's going on. The, you know, and it starts. It starts on the low level of, of local law enforcement because that's where you enforce laws and enforce uh, enforce policies. And, and, and it starts right there. So as these progressive politics are trying to strip away from it, we need to to combat that. Everyone needs to stand together. Absolutely. You know, even if it's in opposition, let's stand together. Let's get to know each other. Let's talk about it. Um, and that's how I feel about about everything, you know, and I and I do. And I just want to say to all you retired guys that listen, you know, you're all they're very critical of us, you know, but you're on these group chats with all your friends where you guys are sharing articles and you're sharing crime numbers about either precincts that you ran, you worked in, you live in, you lived in. And you're talking about the failures in public safety. The only difference between me and Eric is we're doing it for the world. And you are free to vocalize your opinion for whatever reason that may be. And that's fine. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not knocking or you're just a private person and you don't want to put your heart and your thoughts out into the world. And that's fine. You know, some people is fine. But, you know. To hate on us for doing what you do every day, I find it very laughable, man. I really do. And, uh, you know, whatever it is, I don't care. Like I said, you know, I'm very I'm very happy to do this podcast, whether zero people listen to it or thousands of people listen to it. And I do appreciate the thousands that have been listening to it across the world. Um, because it just shows that there's more to this world. It's a very nuanced place and there's a lot to policing and crime and legislation that people don't know about. Me and Eric are trying to attempting to pull the curtain back on that. And I think we've been successful to this point. We're going to continue to do that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, listen, if you support us, please, you know, get a t-shirt, the finest unfiltered 265 police live. I mean, now you understand 265 uh, it represents the penal code for the apprehension of a legal firearm. If you support us, you like the information that we're putting out, grab a shirt at Myers Police Uniform Store, located in Brooklyn and the Bronx. We understand people have busy lives. Sometimes it's tough to get to a uniform store. So we are working on getting a website or a link 
connected to our website or Maya so that you can actually purchase these shirts. So uh, we look forward to that in the future. Like I said, if you like our stuff, please, uh, you know, like and subscribe, wear a shirt, support the podcast. We support you. 265 Police Live. We are the experts. We'll be right back at you. God's work.